problems here. Don't worry about it, Dave. No, not now. Every time I have a problem with perfect trajectory, Dave shows up. I'm like, oh, look, Dave, you're here. Perfect. It's prophetic. It's the Lord. So we're doing a series on uh, God helping us. And uh, so help me God. And we've been talking about like how the Lord helps us. And one of the ways uh, that he helps us, he awakens us, he makes changes in our life, he challenges us. But another way we have to realize how God is actually helping us is he provides for us. The Lord makes provision in our lives, and in that provision is actually what helps us. That's we need the Lord in our life. Can I get a witness? Yes. yes. God is our refuge, he's our strength, he's a very powerful, present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We look to so many circumstances and so many situations, and we look to so many other things, and the last person we come to is Jesus. Jesus isn't like an afterthought, he's the forethought, right? We go, oh, we can always pray. Has it come to that? Has it just come down as that's the last thing we do oftentimes is pray. The last thing we do is look to the Lord. After we've exhausted all resources, we go to the Lord. And what ends up happening is that God wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for your needs. Say this with me. The Lord wants to provide my needs, my wants, and my desires. There's the three levels of relationship. Most Christians live at the point of need. Need-driven. Jesus is a fire alarm. You go and pull it every now and then. Or you go pick up and he's a 911. He's actually Jeremiah 33 3 if you want his phone number. Call on me and I'll answer you. So you can remind your kids you know not of. But we 911 Jesus all the time, and most Christians live only at the point of need. Need driven, need driven, need driven, need driven, need driven. Good news, Jesus will meet you at the point of your need. Good news. But he does not, is not his interest in your life is not to simply be. Uh, a first responder. I mean, that, that's necessary in all of our lives sometimes, but he wants to move you from need to want. What's want? What, what do you want? What do you want? This is a journey of discovery. This is a journey that we all have to go into this place of, uh, you can probably, if you get the clicker, just turn the, turn the phones. They're just bleeding, so it's just a little very distracting. Um, he wants to move you from need to want. The question is, is what is what is it that you want? What do you want? It's a bad connection. Most people have no clue what they want. Like. No clue. Okay. I got, well, I got something to for you. What do you want is bigger than you. Okay. You can fix it. You're afraid of it. That's the truth. <laughs> Most people have no idea. Jesus, when they were following Jesus, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, "Wait a second. Why are you following? What do you want from me?" Jesus goes up to the blind man and says, "What would you like me to do?" You mean he doesn't know? Of course he knows. It's not an issue of whether Jesus knows what you want. He wants to know, do you know what you want? Most Christians can't even graduate to the mid-level of that type of thing, of provision with the Lord, which is, what do you want? He wants to move you into what you want. And as you move into what you want, your, the, the relationship begins to develop further and further, and then you move into a level of desire. What's desire? Desire is what the Lord has sired in your heart. What has God brought into your heart? That's where the word desire comes from. It's desire, to impregnate. What has God made you pregnant with? Well, we can't even, we can't even get any close to desire because we're stuck in need all the time because we don't understand the relationship. We don't understand what he wants to do. He's not condemning you because you live at the point of need. You're just a juvenile. You're just a thumb sucker, right? And until you get tired of sucking your thumb, you know, Jesus will leave you there. You can suck your thumb. You can walk with it for 40 years and still sit in the diaper with your thumb in your mouth. 
It's fine. Most, most Christians don't even notice it. Most pastors and most churches can't even recognize it. We feed the church with this idea or this ideology that you're supposed to, it's all, oh, God will supply your needs. It's just about meeting your needs. It's not about meeting your needs. I mean, what a diminished understanding of Him. We can't do any better than that. Is to think that all God wants to do is meet your needs. Is that all you want to do as a parent when you're taking care of your child? Is I live to meet the need of my child. <laughs> the way you develop a kid is you find out what that kid wants. Yeah. And then you begin to follow the child and cultivate that child. You have to meet their needs in the beginning, but then you begin to feed into the wants of the child, and then they begin to awaken. And as time goes on, the, the relationship that you form with that child, they begin to align with the desires of their parents. That's what a healthy relationship looks like. It doesn't always work, but that's, that's the design of it, is that God makes you, will meet your needs, but in order to grow you up and to try to get you to understand what it is that you want. What were you made for? What do you really want out of your life? I want to succeed. What does success look like? I want love. What does love look like? I don't know. That's the problem. That's the problem. We're, di- we're diminutive in, in the way that we, we don't develop ourselves properly. And when you develop yourself, it's not easy, people. If it was easy, anybody could do it. it, it it's true. Christianity is not a spectator sport. When I played sports, one of the biggest things, I went a very competitive football team in the place where I grew up, and a lot of guys didn't want to make it. To be honest, team was a privilege. I made the team, and you know, coach, everybody would complain to coach and say, listen, if this was easy, anybody could do it. If it was easy, anybody could do it. There's an elite call upon the Christian's life, and it's called, it's literally, it's a, it's a leaving of your old life and moving into a new one. Most of us don't want that. We want to stay in, in the old place. And some of that is because you don't know that there's something better for you. Some people know that there's a calling, there's something higher, they know there's a depth to this faith that they're supposed to pursue, and they're lazy and they don't want to do it. Other Christians, no, don't, just, just don't have an idea, they don't have a clue. Is it their fault because they don't understand? It's not their fault. But it's the obligation of the pastor and the teacher to teach the people the heart and the nature of God and to compel them to the thing that God has placed before them. And so when you're taught that only God's only interest in your life is meeting your need, you need to high karate yourself and ask yourself why you're sitting out there listening to only that. If that's what you're feeding yourself, he is so far past that, so far beyond that. You need to accept the fact that God is meeting your need is one thing, but he wants to move you into who you are. And then into who you are, then he moves you into, into this relationship where it's no longer what I want, Lord, what do you want? Desire in me what you desire. Now that I understand what I want and who I am and how I'm made and what it is that I want to pursue, now sire into me your purposes that are in line with my design. And then you're going to change. Then revolution starts happening. This is a process. It's not easy. It's not easy. Is marriage easy? Anybody? Can you witness? Yeah. Everyone raising children. You want to go down that one? Oh, no, no. Yeah. And if marriage don't do you, the kids certainly will. Provision means to see to it. God's the provider, which means he will see to it. The word Adonai is Lord, and it means benefactor. When you come under Christ, the Lord binds himself to you to be your benefactor. 
He says over your life, I am now your benefactor. In what way? What way do you want? Every way possible. He is your benefactor. God is your provider. But here's the, here's the deal, guys. Some things come on us, like the rain comes down and it just happens. Other things, we have to understand what the benefit package is. My son just started a job, you know, like typical teenagers, you know, he's 19, he starts a job, and he comes home, he's got the folder, you know, he just slaps it down on the counter, and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? I'm ready to do the benefit package. Like, you realize you got free down? You have free down. Even, even in a part-time 29-hour job, they're giving him a girlfriend free down, but he has to roll. I mean, you realize you get your, you get your birthday paid for free, you know, but you have to get to submit and file, you have to do certain, do certain things to access the benefits. And one of the things is the benefit packages that, that are associated with Jesus. This isn't a benefit package. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. We told you it wasn't. It's the Blessing Club, and I was president of the local chapter. God has, you were created to be blessed. That's why he made you, to be the object of his blessing. Not for your own selfish stupidity, but for his glory and for his honor. That's what the Lord is. The world is all about me. It's all about me. It's not about you. It's not about you. Man, when you get to know him, you want more of him. When you begin to receive his blessing and you begin to move inside of what he wants for you, you want more of that. You don't want more of the old. He will see to it. So here's the deal. Provision means God will see to it. He will see to it that your needs are met. He will see to it that you are provided for it in the most basic ways. But he wants to move you past me to wants and into desires, Christian. It also means for the vision. So provision means for the vision. Your provision is directly attached to your prophetic word. Your provision is directly attached to your calling. You want you want provision? Move into your calling, and you'll see the you'll see the provision of God begin to move over you because it's directly attached to the prophetic word on your life. If God's called you to reach the nations, start reaching the nations, and you'll see the provision come. If God's called you to reach the neighborhood, start reaching the neighborhood. If God's called you to raise children, start raising children. You'll see the, you'll see the, you'll see the provision come. It's correct. It's always for the vision. There is no provision without vision. Understand that? So God puts provision over the vision. Well, the provision is to put food in battle. Well, that's, that's pretty much taken care of. God, take, God sustains us. He takes care of us. Miraculously, supernaturally, how much more would it be? Would it happen if you actually became, instead of being a problem, you became part of the solution? Yeah. Most of us fight against the things that God wants to do in our life. It's so true. So the greatest provision that we have, man's greatest provision, is for salvation. That's our greatest provision. God so loved the world that He gave you. That's the starting point of everything. Jesus made provision. He has done for you and I what we cannot do for ourselves. He has freed you from the guilt and condemnation in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you don't have access to the benefit plan. you got to come into Christ. How easy is that? Pretty easy. If you take a step, that's about as hard as it is. As it is. He's paid the price. It's like Christianity is so cheap. It's just you, you Christians make it so easy to be saved because it is. Yeah. It is? Come on. You ever get an elevator? On a 24th floor, you want to hit the 24th floor, you just step in the elevator. How hard is it? You go, 
The door closes for you, takes you to the 24th door, Ooh, door opens, you step out on the 24th floor. How hard was that? It was not hard at all, but somebody paid a lot of money to install that elevator. Salvation is easy and, and extraordinarily accessible to all, but somebody paid a great price for that to be so. A great price was paid. Jesus paid for it with blood. Muhammad didn't pay for nothing. Buddha didn't pay for nothing. Krishna didn't pay for nothing. They're not equal. There's one rock star that's named Jesus. One. He doesn't share his glory. He is not a God among the many. He's the one and only. It's true. It's absolutely true. The greatest provision is salvation. Why? Because sin has corrupted us all. We're all evil. You just being saying we're all equally sinful. Aren't you glad? Right? And in Christ, we're all equally saved. We come and we're now we're now in the we're now in equal standing. But there's none, there's no sinners go back one. Sin is corrupted. Sin entered the world through an ancestor that we all have named Adam. We didn't come from monkeys. We weren't we didn't come out of some cesspool. You know, we didn't come from cosmic stardust. That's not how it worked. God made man from the dust of the ground. He made an advance in his own image, and he took from man and made woman in the image and likeness of man, and he put his glory there. He put his glory on the likeness of mankind, upon the man and the woman. It's called a federal head. Adam was the federal head. In other words, everything that began with Adam flows to us. Sin began with Adam and flows to us. Jesus came as the last Adam. Why? Because he's a new federal head. Now your bloodline doesn't flow to the earth, Christian, it flows from heaven. We're born of the blood of Jesus, not of the born of blood of God. It's important to not just know that, but to acknowledge that and to recognize that. I'm not born of the earth. I'm born of heaven. My bloodline doesn't flow through my ancestors that come from Scotland that centuries ago. I've renounced that long ago. I'm a son of the highest. My blood flows from heaven and not of the earth. And I let every David in hell understand that. You have no right to inherit the children me. I come from, I come from, I'm born of above. I'm born of the spirit. That's true in fact, but oftentimes it's not true in application in our own lives. We live like, we live, well, I'm just angry because I'm Irish. Or I'm angry because I'm Cuban, you know. Or I'm angry because I didn't eat this morning. You know, whatever, I don't know what your problem is. You have to, where, where, do you, where do you draw your identity from? We have enemies in our life, okay, so we need salvation. So we, what we need to be saved from? There's a world, there's a culture, there's a, the system of this world is fallen. It's infected with greed and corruption. So this world works against you. I don't know anybody that, do y'all get out much? I don't know if you do. You know, the world itself works against you because it's a broken system full of broken people. And we have a devil that opposes us at every turn. What does he oppose us with? Number one thing he opposes you with is the knowledge of Christ. Amen. He's trying to keep people from the full understanding of, of Jesus. And so he muddles Jesus with everybody else. Amen. Or he keeps the curve, he teaches the church. When you're born again, he gives you a false representation of who he is. Lots of false images. Oh, God's not good. Jesus isn't healing today. Who told you that? God's in a bad mood. God's out to get you. Jesus just loves us all. You don't need to repent. Who told you any of that? It's all false representations of who he is. So he keeps not just the unbeliever from coming to salvation, he keeps the church muted in its understanding of who Jesus truly is. True. Then we have our biggest problem. You know what your biggest problem is? You. Jesus came to save you from you. You are self-destructive. 
Because you don't think so? Leave yourself alone for a while. See where it goes. Not good. Sherry was in Columbia. I walked in the house. My son and I were there. I was like, it's not good. That makes <laughs> when you come to Christ, He gives you a new nature. This is the most beautiful thing of all: is that Jesus gives you a new nature. Yeah. What in the world? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. He gives you access to the Spirit. Access. In the women's thing yesterday, she was talking about the ministry, the spirit, everything there. And I said it's accessible to all. All in Christ is your access into the spirit. It's a blood right. It's yours by blood. I have a guy sitting here, and he went, he went through the, he did an interviewing school, and uh, he's asking, he said, I don't hear the Lord. He said, you, you're trying to tell me I can hear the Lord. I said, 100%. I said, you're in Christ. You will hear the Lord. It cannot be denied to you. Because Jesus bought it with His blood. If you don't hear the, if you don't hear the, if you don't hear the Lord, that, that's not because you can't. There's some there's other issues going on here, and there may be some lies that you believe, or there might be some opposition that you haven't cleared out of the way. If you are at your, you can hear the Lord. Why? Because He promised. My sheep hear My voice. He who has an ear, you let him hear. Jesus didn't lose his. He didn't write a book and lose his voice. It's another false concept. We only hear voices. Had a pastor tell me that. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you teach the church prophetically, you try to develop the church to hear the voice of the Lord, and he's like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to teach them to hear voices out there. Don't want to hear them. God forbid I should actually teach you to hear the voice of the Spirit. God forbid! <laughs> you can hear the Lord. It's yours. Come to Firestarters. You don't want to hear Jesus? That's right. You can hear him week one. Week one, you'll prophesy. Week one. You know why? Because your sons and daughters will prophesy. He didn't stutter. It's a blood right. It's an inherited right upon all believers. It's yours. Yeah. You may not know how to get in the door. You may not know how to access it, but it belongs to you. And he purchased it. There are things that are inherited rights, and then there are attached promises. There's a two. It's a multi-level, a multi-layered uh, benefit package, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Our biggest problem is ourselves. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Hit the next slide. All things have become new. Do you ever, you guys, because I, I talk about this a lot because it's important to understand. There's you in the spirit, right? Most Christians only they only they only understand this person on Sunday mornings when they're worshiping. When you get in the spirit, you're a different person, aren't you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You like you. You think you're awesome. You think you're a genius when you're in the spirit. You're like, man, I am smart. Then you wake up on Monday morning and you're like, what? Huh? <laughs> you have access to the Spirit at any time you want. When you become born again, God never keeps you from that place. You can get into the Spirit every time. Every time. And that's the true you. That's the true you. He saves you from yourself. He delivers you from this present darkness. So God deals with our three enemies. The culture. The, this present darkness. He says He delivers us from the present darkness. Translates us into the kingdom of his son. We're not of this culture, we're of the kingdom culture. We need to live as if we're from that culture and not live like we're part of this culture. The Bible calls it carnal. When a Christian being born again lives no differently than the world around them, the Bible calls it carnal. Doesn't say you're not saved, it says you were driven by the flesh and you completely are clueless about the spirit. You're locked in the flesh, but we have access to the spirit. 
He's delivered us from this darkness, and he's given you authority over the devil. He's crushed the devil's head, Christian. I can't understand why the devil keeps wrecking my life and wounding my life. Cast him out. Oh, I just don't understand the devil's so powerful, the devil's so powerful. What rights have you given him? He can do nothing to you but by right, Christian. So if he's on your couch eating Doritos, you're opening the door. That's true. Or you don't know how to take authority. He's got we have we have an ability, it could be like a like you know, Andre the Giant fighting some young little, little guy, right? And then Andre the Giant, the wrestler laying on the ground going, Oh, this little guy is so powerful. Because Andre the Giant won't step up and assume the posture and the position that he's been given. Most believers don't exercise the authority that they've been given. They don't understand it. And they don't know how to exercise it. The devil's biggest lie is that, oh, this is just circumstances, or you're not worthy, or this is God. Better yet, God's doing this to you. No. He does it, and then he accuses the Lord. Amen. And then what we do is we get into an agreement with that. And then we start going, the Lord must not love me. I must not be lovable. And we start reinforcing the lies that he's perpetrating on you. That's nothing to do with that. You're loved on your worst day. He's for you when you're against you. Aren't you glad? You can't screw it up when you try. He's not against you. What can separate us from the love of God? He's always for you. He knew what he is. He's always glad to see you. He is never not glad to see you. Do you know why? Here's the beauty. He doesn't recognize the old you. He only sees you in light of who you are in him. Born again. He doesn't know you if you're that old person. Like, who are you again? You know what I, don't, I don't know who you are. But in the spirit, he recognizes you. That's why he doesn't answer victim words. Stop praying victim prayers. He doesn't recognize you as a victim. You're not a victim. He doesn't recognize you as a victim. When you complain about others and acknowledge others to him, he doesn't even acknowledge those. You ever notice that there are certain prayers that fall silent? Certain prayers. Why do you know what? Why is this happening? <laughs> they don't get answered. There's no answer to that ever. Do you know why? Because he doesn't recognize you as a victim. You're praying as a victim. Jesus, when he looks at you, never sees you as a victim. You're a victor. You're an overcomer. You're a son. See, Jesus doesn't have loser jump on. There's my loser son. There he is again. When, oh, when, oh, when, are you going to pull it together? He doesn't rec- he recognizes. That's why he's always allowed to see you. You can be shot out. Jesus is like, hey, come on. Like, why are you so glad to see me? Do you know what I did? He's like, I don't know, but I know who you are. He sees you for who you are. We have to access our new nature. He doesn't recognize the old you. You shouldn't recognize the old you. I'm such a loser. I'm a guilt and condemnation. And Kevin, you just can't pull. Yeah, I heard about that dude named Kevin that couldn't pull it together. I heard he died long ago. I heard that guy passed away long ago. He's not around anymore. There's another me. There's another me. And the art is moving into that life and moving into the new you. We live so much time in reconciling and try to reconcile our past, and your past is reconciled. It's already, it's already been done. We keep living in an identity. We're like, oh, we're just sinners saved by grace. Oh, God, I'm a worm, no longer a man. You don't understand the cross. You don't understand the resurrection. He never sees you in that light. You're not a victim. You're a son and a daughter, and you're on your feet. You guys hear me? I tell you this because it's true. He never answers prayer. This, this whole idea of posturing out before the Lord. If 
you read how he addresses his sons and daughters, he always wants them on their feet. On your feet. On your feet. On your feet. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. You know, we don't come in this lamenting that I hope for me. Oh God, don't you understand? I'm such a loser. Oh God, I know, I know, I know I did it again. You know, I'm such a fool. I'm such a man. Admit it and quit it. Move on. Move on. You have a new nature, you have a new identity, you have a new purpose, you have a new destiny. You are born again. Literally, the idea of being born again is that you are someone that never existed before. You're a new creation. You're the new you. You better get used to being in the spirit because that's who you are for eternity. Yes. That's the best part. When you're in the spirit, you're like, ah, this is cool. That's you forever. That part over here, this bag, this sack of wet sand that you're dragging around all the time, you know, lamenting, and it's always, I mean, it's just, we're, we're just train wrecks, man. The longer I live, the more I realize what train wrecks we are. Just some people are better at boxing their train wreck than others. But everybody's messed up. We're broken. We need Jesus. Yeah. We need him. There's no, the, it, what humility is, humility is not just false humility. Humility is accepting who he is and what he's done for you and have, having no confidence in yourself and having confidence in him and confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh, but confidence in the spirit. That's what it means. Give a new nature, live from that, give a new identity. Okay? So, I don't know, my son's on my mind here this morning, but my son wrote, was, he's trying, I've been telling him, he's had a prophetic word of his life his whole life that he's going to be musical with it, you know, from the time he was like big, big. No, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And teenagers in the room. And he comes to me the other day and he goes, oh, God, I wish I would listen to you when I was younger. He's only 19. You know, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like I'm 79, but, you know. He's 80 years old. Oh, you should have listened, man. It would have been better for you. But, like, he's saying, wish he would have done music. And I've been trying to tell him, like, this really feels like, like, like songwriting and music is, like, coming alive in him. And he just said, I can just feel it. And I keep telling him, if you will access the Holy Spirit, you will have wisdom and insight into what others do not have. If you will access the spirit and not write and try to come from your own strength and your own position, if you will look and see him from his perspective, they'll show you. I don't care if it's your business, whatever it is you do, if you will access, you have the mind of Christ, you can see from another world. You have access to wisdom that the world cannot get. The world doesn't have that wisdom. We do. We do. I was a kid. You guys hear me tell a story? I told a story like when I was working construction. I was really young. I was very successful in the company I was working for, a big corporation in the Dolphin State, a bunch of, bunch of back in the day, all this crazy stuff. But anyway, uh, but what I, but one of the, the, the secrets to the success was that I began to ask the Holy Spirit. I'm building. I'm building things that I never understood. I'm doing things that I never... I, listen, God created the financial market. Some of you heard of that. Heaven's a commerce. Heaven's on commerce. It's a system of trade, right? It's, it's what it is. He knows and understands finances. He understands building construction. He understands family. He understands marriage. He understands biology more than the doctor. What would happen if the doctors began to pray and fast and get into the spirit and go, Lord, what is the protein that's driving cancer? Where is this coming from? What would happen? Oh, God forbid. We actually might start getting revelation. There might be insight. What would happen if we began to apply the Holy Spirit into these arenas of our lives and access it? And I was telling my son, you know, just start listening to the Holy Spirit. And he's like, yeah, but I don't want to write, you know, this is where he's at, don't get that I don't. He's like, I don't want to write every song about Jesus. It's like, I don't, it's not that he doesn't love Jesus. He just, you know, he just doesn't want to write a Jesus song every other day. 
And I said, you don't think the Holy Spirit wants to write songs about what? You don't think the Holy Spirit wants to write songs about encouragement and uplifting and hope? Does every piece of art we create have to have a cross in the middle of it, or it's not, it's not redeemable? You know? I mean, do you have to have 40 scriptures in your business for you to be a Christian business? I mean, that's not the point. That's not what he's driving for. He's not driving for the externals. I was telling him, write stuff that God, ask the Holy Spirit. So ask him, Lord, do you want to shine a light on the world? Lord, what do you want to shine? Let him shut, let him begin to open up. I mean, this is the guy, this is the God of love. You think he knows how to understand love? You think he understands how to write and tell stories and narratives? He wants to integrate himself into all levels of creation. All levels. Ask the Holy Spirit. You'd be shocked if he showed you. You'd be shocked. You'd be amazed. Most of us don't because we, we, we put him in a box and we think it's got to be Christianese or it isn't of the Lord. Yeah, true. Right? It's got to be like that. Or we, can, we can't tell a story. We can't make a movie without giving a full-on gospel presentation. Yeah. I'm all in. I preach the gospel. I'm for it. But we, you don't, you can, it's like as we assume people can't think for themselves. You can't think for yourself here, you know, kind of thing here. We have to be approving. I just saw this beautiful painting. This is beautiful painting. And I, and I when I pulled it up, I thought, wow, that's really awesome. And, and they're like, oh, our Christian artist. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And then I looked it up, and then when I wanted to call, there's a, there's a cross right in the middle of it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm not against the cross. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. What we, what we, the way that we do things, the way that we go about it, we have no liberty in our in our expressions of Christ. We have no liberty in that. You don't think you like people come to Jesus because the guy wrote a song? And it's, there's so many Christian artists out there that there are not so many of them anymore, but they used to make music. And then you find out, wow, I really like their music. And then you find out, oh, like, as a believer. You're like, wow, now I understand where the interaction came from. Yeah. Most of them, they can't find their context within the church. The church is too bracketed and too religious, but I'm in that world, man. It's got to be theologically correct at all times. Yeah. Well, what if your theology is wrong, brother? What if your understanding of God is not complete? Could it be? Jesus wants to know about it's not theologically correct. Well, according to my theology, that's correct. I don't know the theology you're reading, but that's, that, that's biblically correct from God from the world that I come from. He provides you with a new nature, a new identity, a new purpose, and a new destiny. He frees you. He liberates you. He does not care if you make mistakes. Amen. Amen. He doesn't care. He does not care if you fail. We put so much emphasis on not making mistakes, and we put so much emphasis on not failing, that we produce nothing. We're so afraid of creating a Judas that we never create a Peter, a James, or a John. Because we're so restricting upon the people. Because we don't want to grow. You know how off Peter was all the time? Peter was off all the time. Even after he got the Holy Spirit, Paul had to correct Peter. He said, I was stood into his face. Because he was playing religious games with the Jews, the Judaizers. If the religious people would come to all the spiritually correct, Peter would be like, Bless God, hallelujah, how's everything going? 
And the church that he was ministering to was looking at him like, who are you? And Paul said, that's not, that's not, that's not the game, man. That's not, that's not the way it is. We're free. Jesus doesn't have a problem with you failing. Do you know why? Because this stay with you. He does not have a problem with me failing. He has a problem with me not trying. It doesn't say failure when I enter the kingdom of God. It says cowardice will not. So you can be a failure. You can call me a failure all day. I'm okay with it. You can call me a fool all day. I'm okay with it. But you will never, ever, ever call me a coward. That will never be. That will not be accurate over me, ever. And it's not. There's not one moment in my life where I can, I can go, wow, I think how I refuse. I refuse. Because you know why? I know what he expects of me. He expects courage, not cowardice. He doesn't have a problem with me failing. He doesn't even have a problem with me not knowing. Jesus is the master of on-the-job training. Yes. Most of you never learn because he doesn't because you never try. And in the doing is where the learning is. Jesus says, as you go, he taught the disciples in a process of motion. They didn't know anything. Imagine being with Jesus. Watch this. You're with Jesus. He's healing the sick, raising the dead, multiplying bread. And then he slaps 72 on the back and goes, okay, you guys go do it. What? So they did. He just sent them out two by two. There was no extensive training course that he provided them. He just told them to go. Go. And he gave them instructions. If you're not welcome, turn around and leave. Don't take anything with you because I want you to see the manifest power of God that's with you. Take no money in your money bag. Find a person of peace. Begin to work with them. Come upon somebody. See where they did. Begin to follow the prophetic leadings of how the Lord will lead you. Through that person. Oh, yeah. That's how it is. That's how the New Testament was written, people. That's how the church in the book of Acts was able to change their known world in a generation. They didn't have the Bible. That's not to say the Bible's not important. The Bible's important. Okay? The, 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 the instructions hit but we, we nullify the power of God and the Spirit of God, and we try to tell ourselves that we, we don't want to look like a failure. God forbid. Oh, I don't want anybody to see him a failure. Isn't our no problem to be failing? You know why? Say this. Say this. He has no problem with me failing. He has no problem with me losing. Because he always has more. He has more provision, he has more opportunity. His problem is if I play the coward. Say this with me. Therefore, I will not play the coward. Right? He don't care if you fail. He's got another opportunity for you. You think that's all he's got? He don't care if you lose it all. You don't, you don't think he's got more? He's the God of more. He's the God of increase. He's a baby. If I need something, I'll tell you. I'll just make it. He'll make it. Jesus needed to pay the temple tax. Well, go down there and look in the water. He'll get fish in the point. Here. Now, if he needed a way out here, just, he, he summons it. He provides a family. So he provides you with a new nature, new identity, new purpose, a new destiny. He provides you with a family. This is your family. Look around, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. All dysfunctional. We're a happy, dysfunctional family. Happy day. We love Jesus. Jesus said, Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing at his disciples. He said, These are my mother. These are my brothers. For whoever does the will of our Father in heaven, these are my brothers, my sisters, and my mother. Our family is our family is this. Our family is the kingdom of God. Our family is our brothers and sisters in Christ. More so than your blood relatives. This is your family. We are. Family is the church. We are members of one another. It's the word koinonia means we're bonded together. That's why you're so happy to see each other. 
You walk in, everybody, if, if the church is free, you know, the church encourages an atmosphere for all that. Shh. the Lord. Take that hat off, brother. It's holy. Show some reverence. <laughs> but if you're free, we're like country dogs, man. The tails are wagging. <laughs> So we're supposed to do specific things. We're supposed to, number one, we're supposed to assemble. This is God's intent for you. Yeah. You're doing the will of the Lord today by being here. Did you know that? I didn't say you were doing your will, you're doing his will. Yeah. Right. He wants you here. Assembly is not an afterthought. God likes to have all his kids in the same room. Hey, what's going on? This is great. We're supposed to assemble ourselves together. It's not an afterthought, it's a forethought. We're supposed to prioritize the assembly. That's one of the ways that we testify to a culture. We testify that we're God's people because we prioritize our Sundays. It's a testimony. It's supposed to speak. It speaks of who you are. It testifies of your heart and your commitment. We're supposed to celebrate and support each other. You should be happy when your brother gets blessed. You should be happy when your sister gets blessed. You should celebrate that. You know why? Because God's no respect of persons. You should go, Lord, just bless me. Hey, lay some of that on me. Pray for me. I need that. And we should we should celebrate the success of each other. And we should inspire the success of one another. This isn't a competitive marketplace. This is completely different. We're to lift each other up. We're to support one another. When we fall, we're to be there. We're to not judge one of us. You hear about what happened to Sister Susie? No, I did well, I was in a prayer meeting the other day, and I'm not sure if this is gossip or not, but I just want to tell you, what's your issue? You know what I'm saying? We all got issues, man. Get over it. Nothing, nothing should surprise us. Well, I don't find that we're becoming a Christian. I do. I do. We're capable of anything. We're broken people. The sooner you come to terms with that and you move yourself into the dependence and the whole heart of dependence on the Holy Spirit, your life will change. Because you don't, what you're going to do is you're going to judge yourself all the time. You're going to get into ego and pride when you succeed, but you're going to be really, really hard on yourself when you fail. Because you're, that, that's, that's what's going to happen. I don't, I don't judge. I, I maintain a neutral standard towards myself all the time. Not because I'm so, I'm so transcendent. But because I mentally, I, I, I position my heart to know, it is, that's not mine, this is who I am in Christ. Whether, whether my circumstances or anything, even when I make a mistake, I realize I'm capable of mistakes. And I don't beat myself up over it. It doesn't mean I, I live in my mistakes, but I'm not going to beat myself up over the stupid thing that I did yesterday. I did it, yeah, that was wrong, probably did better. Don't you wish you had a rewind, anybody? <laughs> like the remote? Can I just go back thirty? Can I, can I just do a ten-second rewind? Can I just do that. You know, you get that. So and we're we're to work out our differences with one another. Okay, this is huge. If some Christians are, well, I'm not going back to that church anymore. She made me feel unwelcome. I said hi to her, and she didn't say anything to me. I'm not going back there anymore. You know, we we because we're so emotionally underdeveloped, we don't know how to worship, work out our differences with one another. Christians, ready? Hold the chair. We should be the most highly developed relational people on the planet. 
Nobody should understand human dynamics and relationships better than the believer. Because aren't we in a relationship with Jesus? He's a God relationship. We're supposed to understand the Bible's not silent about relationships. It says if you're offended, go and talk to the person about your offense. Work it out. Then it says, well, they wronged me. And you know what it tells you? Right? Ready? Rather be wronged. Paul said it's an utter failure for you to continue arguing amongst yourselves because someone has wronged you. Accept the wrong. That's what he says. It is a failure, a complete and total failure for you to be divisive among yourselves because you're offending. Who cares? If you're offended, go and say, hey man, I know you love me, but I kind of was a little off with the way that you said it. You know, I don't know what you were meaning there. If the person gets all snippy, then you need to treat them like they're undeveloped. You need to be developed. You need to take a position to be sure. You know the person, hey, that bothered me. I really didn't like what you did there. I really didn't like what you said. Oh, man, I was completely off. I had a bad day. Oh, okay, okay, we're good. Okay, we're good. Well, we move on. Or you go to the person and you say, hey, I like what you did. Well, you just don't understand me. You just have misunderstanding. Well, that, then, then you need to go, okay, no problem. I bless you. I love you. Who on. Because that person is not developed. And you need to lead them in their state of undevelopedness because the Holy Spirit will deal with them. And what will happen is, is that cycle, that, that same personality, will repeat itself again and again and again and again and again until that person deals with it. But we are supposed to be, you're supposed to develop. I mean, I've been part of church leadership, and nobody is worse than church leadership. Good God Almighty. We are so harsh and judgmental and unforgiving and bitter, it's unbelievable. And we wonder why that permeates in the body through the love among the people, because the leaders are modeling that. Somebody comes the pastor, we're exiled. Don't want to associate with John Smith. He just left our congregation and is no longer a good You're not even have dinner with such a one as this. We, 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 we get all stupid over dumb stuff like that. We're to not, the Bible says as much as it depends upon you, the identity of the unity of the Spirit and the body of peace. As much as it depends on you, you can only control so much. You can't make the other person like you. You can't make the other person mature if they're not. You can't. I gave up on that long ago. I tried. <laughs> but then you just realize, okay, this person's here. Look, pastors are in the people business. You don't think I deal with people, I deal with people all the time. All the time. So it's on my life. It's a year of peace business. For the spirit business, okay, all, all things spiritual assume our main, our main role is to develop the people towards this kingdom of God. Not to tickle you. <laughs> Christians come into church on Sunday morning, they're like, tickle me! Tickle me! Where's my tickle? I like a good tickle. I'm not all in. But it's not, our role is not to take our role is to develop. Develop. We really want to say to be developed in the most holy faith. To be developed into the faith of God. That's what we're to be developing in. Amongst ourselves, we work out our differences. Hello. Say this. I need to get over me. I need to deal with issues that I have with the Lord. Put it on the Lord's account. There's another verse for you. 
Acceptance. We're to have acceptance for one another. Good, bad, and ugly. Crazy. I get one of the one of the, I get a right to talk. So you know, when people come to speak here, I'm pretty selective when they do. I always hear nothing but good things about the church. That's all I ever hear. People so loving. People so nice. You know what people have been saying here? I cannot believe how diverse this church is. I mean, really, even in Miami, you guys are really diverse. Do you know why? Because we accept one another. We care for one another. We're just in acceptance. We, you know, it's like, like we, it's okay, man. You come in tennis shoes and shorts, you know, you come in a three piece suit, whatever. There's an acceptance. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to reflect. The church is by no means perfect, so don't let me get, don't get it wrong. We're supposed to be, have common union with one another. Relationships have Relationships reveal weakness and flaws. When I'm in relationship, come on, and weakness comes out of me, the relationship is doing what it's supposed to do. Say this, when I'm in relationship and my flaws are being revealed, the relationship is doing what it was supposed to do. Try it. Relationship reveals weakness and relationship reveals flaws. Pastor, I've been married for a year and it just isn't working. We just aren't getting along. You know, my junk's coming out. I just can't control myself anymore. You know, I never thought I had an anger problem, but now, man, now I'm married to that woman that the Lord gave me. Uh, my, my anger just comes out, you know. That was telling us doing exactly what it's supposed to do, man. So the marriage is doing exactly what it's supposed to reveal you. It reveals your weakness, it reveals your flaws, and it reveals your inability. And it truly is calling you to transformation. It's calling you to become different than what you are. Let me take you to the next slide. He provides promises. Oh, this is so beautiful. It's one of the things that changed my life as a Christian. When I understood that God has promises for me, it changed my life. It changed everything. I was like, wait a second. He's got promises for me? That's day one when I came back to Christ. I came back to Christ in my early, late teen, early 20 years, and the pastor's up there saying, you know, this, this is the book of promises, and the Lord has promises for you, and if you engage God on his promises, your life will change. I couldn't get past the fact, I can still remember, I couldn't get past the fact of one. He has promises for me? <laughs> Nobody ever told me that. Like, wait a second, man. These, these promises are designed to change your life and everything around you. Promises change the course of your habits. Your second Peter, by which we have been given. Say this with me. By which we have been given. Come on. Exceeding. Exceeding. Great. Great. Precious. Promises. It says, through the promises, I draw from the divine nature. And I escape the corrupt way that is in the world through selfish desire. The world obtains everything through selfish desire by taking what they want. We obtain ours through the promises of God. That's what it's telling you. What comes into the believer's life is because of a direct promise that's over their life or by accessing the promises that God has for them. God has success for you. I don't know if you're aware of that. God has ability for you. God, whatever it is that you need, there's a promise for it. There's a promise. You say, well, where are those promises, Pastor? Well, Promises are activated through keys. Ready? I had this one. I'll just say I'm just I always like to lay this out in my Christian experience. I taught this one time and I had a pastor, literally, a pastor came up to me and goes, You cannot claim those promises. That promise was to Abraham. 
Deuteronomy 8.18. I love that one. Say this with me. The Lord my God has given me the ability to obtain wealth so that I might establish this covenant in the land. He's given everybody here an ability, a creative insight in order to obtain certain things to, to, to fulfill the covenant that he has in the land. That's what he's done. He's given an ability any promise that's in the affirmative is yours. Any promise that's in the positive is yours. And not the tail, it belongs to you. Above only, not the people, that belongs to you. Blessed in the city, blessed in the country, yes, please. You know, it's like every promise that's in the affirmative, it belongs to you. And this guy came up to me and he told me that because he's talking about dispensationalism. Dispensational theology says, the way God was here is not the way that God is here. The way that God was here is not the way that God is here. And I'm like, well, what about the same yesterday, today, and forever? I don't change. What about that one? We teach, we teach people, even though the Christians don't understand it, there are churches that are teaching frames of dispensationalism to the people, not understanding. And so I went to him and I showed him this. Say this with me. Say this with me. Ready? Ready? Say this. For, for all, all the promises of God. In Christ, are yes, and in Christ, amen. How many promises is that? All of them. All of the promises that the Lord made in Christ are yours. And when you know this, he says yes to them. And when you honor him with them, he says, so be it. That's what amen means. To the glory. Now, when he establishes you with Christ, he's also anointed you. He's given you the power to obtain it. He also has sealed you and given your spirit and your hearts as a guarantee. In other words, you have access to these things. Your right of inheritance is based upon Jesus, and your right of inheritance is based upon the power that he provides and the seal of the Holy Spirit on your heart. That's your badge. What right do you have to access that promise? Holy Spirit, that's the right of inheritance that I have. Promises are activated through keys. It's like starting a car. You're not getting anywhere without a key. You have to activate it. So what are the promises? The Bible, there's a promise. Every key, the key to salvation is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Jesus died for the whole world. The whole world can't be saved. Unless they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. That Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus is from the dead. They don't have to understand it, right Dave? They don't have to understand it. Dave got saved at the lost of counsel and dragged to me by several well-meaning believers and you gotta talk to this guy, he just hangs out at the church. He's not saved. He, he, just, he just talks to him. I sat down and I told him, Dave, I said, Hey, so what's your issue with Jesus? He said, I don't have an issue with Jesus. I said, What's your issue with salvation? He goes, It just seems like it's a fairy tale. It seems like Santa Claus or Easter money. And he's like, If I can't understand it, then how can I believe it? And I told him, I said, Who told you you have to understand before you believe? Who told you that? You, you, can, you don't have to understand before you believe. You can believe and not understand. You look at it in practical terms, we believe in airplanes, we get in on You don't understand it. You don't understand jet propulsion. You don't understand lift and thrust. You don't understand aerodynamics. But you get that airplane believing that it's going to do what it says it's going to do. You have to understand that. What does he promise? So here's what happens with the promise. Promises must, the conditions for the promise must be met. Right? You must meet the condition of the promise, and the promise becomes activated. Just because you're meeting the condition of the promise, you must contend for the promise. You must not give up. If God's put a promise over your life, and you've aligned with the purpose of his promise, and you're following the purpose of the promise, the Bible says, do not quit. 
Do not be weary in well doing, for in due season you will reap if you what? If you let go. If you don't quit, if you don't faint, if you think not. You have to contend for the promises. You give up. Quitting is another thing, it's not acceptable. So cowardice and quitting is not in Jesus' economy. So if you think you want to be a coward to be a Christian, wrong answer. If you think you want to be a quitter to be a Christian, again, wrong answer. Be faithful unto death. Okay? Tell them. Doesn't say be faithful until you get tired of it and quit. Yeah. Be faithful even if it costs you your life. But rag your head and knife in your teeth and contend for what belongs to you. Fight for what is yours. Fight for it. No one's going to fight for it more than you. If you don't want it, it's not coming. And Jesus said, here's the thing. Go, God, God doesn't see me. Just look upon me. If he just doesn't care, he does care. He's giving you the Spirit. Claim your promise. Contend for the promise. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he leads you into that promise. He's going to lead you. He's promised. The one who's promised is faithful, the Bible says. What does he promise? Well, here's just a handful. He says, he promises... Hope, wisdom, provision, power, success, restoration, transformation, and eternal life. So yours. He promises these to you. He promises you. Next slide. Lastly, he gives us the Holy Spirit. So God transforms us by providing for us. He provides as you begin to pursue promises, you begin to align your life into the promises of God. Your life and your habits begin to change. Be not deceived that bad company corrupts good morals. So if you keep finding your life being corrupted, don't be deceived. You're with the wrong people. So the promise of God over your life is a life of the group. The problem that's happening is you're with the wrong people. Say, I don't have any friends. I'll give you a verse. A person who desires friends must show themselves friendly. You don't have any friends? Ask them. Nobody asks me about the coffee. Pass you don't want to have a pizza? Nobody asks. <laughs> <laughs> like, who'd you ask? Would you ask anybody? Ask someone to go with you. You say, well, ask five people. I'm like, ask ten. Well, it takes one, okay? Nobody's my friend. We should go to the group. I don't have time to go to the group. I mean, it's like, we're on first day. And he gives you the Holy Spirit. He just says this. So, Holy Spirit is a provision for your life. The Holy Spirit is the power that amplifies the new creation. The Holy Spirit is the administrator of heaven. Jesus said, All that the Father has, say this with me. I'll be back to the chapter and verse, but not another verse. Say this with me. Jesus said, All that the Father has is his. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will take from what is his. And make it known to me. So the Holy Spirit is the administrator of the inheritance of the believer. If you think you're going to manifest your inheritance about the Holy Spirit, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. Holy Spirit partnership is essential. I'm a doctor, so he's not here. Dr. Tim is wrong, right? Come here, Bob. Seven months now. So one thing's wonderful, clear. But plus, some of the search of it, he's like, what you teach? It's an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. I work here as well. Does he really talk like that? (laughs) (laughs) 
Jesus said it's to your benefit that I go for I do not come up with the Holy Spirit will not come. Jesus said it's better for you if I leave you because the Spirit of God is going to do something greater than you being your age physically. You should pay attention to that. Amen. Holy Spirit adds salvation, he comes into you. That's called the abiding presence. The believer gets the Holy Spirit at salvation, the abiding presence of God. And we have the manifest presence of God, but the Spirit of God begins to manifest and make things known. The atmosphere changes, the power changes, something shifts within me. That's the manifest presence. He activates and empowers the new nature. He comforts and helps. It's a Greek word, parapletos. The word comforting you. Power means he's with you. Pletos means he's, he's encompassing you with strength. When the Bible says he's working all things out to the good of those that love him, they're called to his purpose. How's he doing that? He's doing that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working around you. Taking your mistakes and making them into something good. Right? Taking your lemons and turning them into lemonades. He leads you. How does he lead you? He leads you with the Logos, which is the written word of God. The Holy Spirit is a provision that's given to us in order to help us. He's a person. Logos is the written word of God. Rhema is the revealed word of God, the revelation of the word of God, where the word comes alive. And there's another word that the Holy Spirit brings to us, which is the prophetic, the prophetic word of your life. What's the prophetic creed over you? Was prophetic calling of you, echoes. Yeah, thank you, Mark. I'll talk to you for sure. He yeah. manifests that inheritance. I told him about this. That presence yeah, is loose that you feel is far more than the table. That's the power of God. Okay. You need to practice the presence of God and you need to practice the anointing of God because in that is everything. The anointing, the Holy Spirit comes and He bears it, it's all in the anointing. Everything you need is in the anointing. Your hope is in the anointing, your wisdom is in the anointing. Power is in the anointing, your wisdom is in the anointing, your healing is in the anointing. It's all in the anointing. That's it. It's power. You need to practice the presence. I tell Christians all the time that it's not just practice the presence, but expand themselves because the presence gets bigger. That's another story for another time. Holy Spirit helps in our weakness. How does He do that? He helps us deal with our hurts. He shows you, you have a hurt. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. No, I don't. And then he pushes on it. You're like, ow! Oh. Yeah, <laughs> You're hurt. You have a habit. You have a hang-up. You have a way that you think. Your hang-ups, are, your thoughts are all hung up. You think about certain things. You have a bad paradigm of the way you see me. You don't understand me correctly. He's trying to deal with you on these things. The Holy Spirit's pointing things out in your life. He's not showing you what's wrong with you. He's showing you what's missing. He shows you the hurt. He's showing you that what's missing is healing. He shows you the habit, but what's missing is a new lifestyle and a new identity. He shows you the hang-up. It's a new way. He's showing you you're missing the new way of thinking. Next slide, last slide. So here's the deal. If you want to understand the Holy Spirit, you can come to fire starters. We will fire starters in August every week. I don't think a schedule, but that's what we're doing. So um, you'll learn to hear the Holy Spirit. You'll learn to activate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings me out. That's okay. Come on down. Yeah, it's the water spot. Why is why? How many people have been at this church have been freaked out by all this really good fire service? Wow. Yeah. I never knew. I'm like, you never knew. It's there. It's prepared. So come, if you want to understand the Holy Spirit, come to fire service. You need, if you want to be transformed, you need to make up a decision that you're going to commit and connect to church. You're going to make a commitment and you're going to connect to and become a functioning part of the body. You're going to grow yourself. You're going to become someone who grows. You're not going to be someone who just sits in the chair and sucks the thumb. You're going to, and then you're going to actually become a part of not just the function of the church, but you're going to help other people to grow. That's another story. You want to change with the promises? Why are the promises that your heart looks for? Activate with obedience and tenacity. What do you want? 
needs and wants. What do you want? Whatever you want, there's a promise for that. What do you want? What, what is that promise saying to you? I want to have peace. Okay. Be anxious or not. Put all things in prayer, supplications, and make your requests unto to God. And God of all peace will guard your heart and mind from peace. There's the condition. The condition is don't be anxious. Well, that's easier said than done. What do I do? <laughs> right? What do I do with my anxiety? Tell us the Lord. Our prayers to God are only solemn, be solemn with declarations of holiness. Our prayers to God can be, Lord, I'm freaking out right now. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm going down. I know this isn't true. This is how I feel. Be anxious for nothing. Make it known to Him, and then you let the peace of God come over you. Everything that you need is in a promise. Everything. Everything. Salvation in nature, you need not surrender to Jesus and walk in the Spirit. So we're going to close right here. His greatest provision for us is salvation. If you've never received Jesus today, today, we have a prayer team available, so if any of you guys need prayer, anything the prayer team is going to pray for you. If you're here this morning, and you've never given your heart to Christ today, today, today's your day. We're going to pray together as a church, and all you got to do is open up your heart. You don't have to understand it in order to believe it. You just have to want it. Do you want it? Jesus has so much more for you. Who's to free you? Who's to bring you into new life? So let's just pray together. I'll leave the prayer. You guys all just pray with me. Guys, you just open your heart and pray with us. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Can you pray for anything? We have an awesome prayer team. And also, prophetic. you want to know what prophetic word is? Okay, because God got a word for me. Go and see. I guarantee he does. Alright, so let me bless you. God loves you. We love you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down on you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name. I love you. We love you. We're ready. architecture of the culture here is acceptance, love and acceptance. The architecture of the culture is unto Christ, all things to him. There's a lot of different things I could answer you off that. But that's one of the jobs of the pastor is to set the tone. If the pastor's judgmental, the people are going to be judgmental. Everything produces after its own kind, Christian. So you need to be wise and discerning to the churches that you associate yourself with because what you associate yourself with is what you will become. If you go to a legalistic church, you're going to be legalistic. If you go to a judgmental church, you're going to become judgmental. You go to a life-giving church, life is going to come to you. You go to a church that's spirit-oriented, you're going to be spirit-oriented. You get people here say they can never hear God. I'm like, I just had a guy who just asked me. He said, do you believe I can hear the Holy Spirit? I said, 100%. He said, 100%. Come to Firestarters. I said, you will hear the Lord. You will hear the Lord. Guaranteed. Do you know why? Because it's yours by inheritance. It's already paid for. You don't need to do anything to get it. It's blood right. It is a blood right to all believers. It cannot be denied. It can be resisted, but it cannot be denied. Cannot. 
The Spirit's power and movement in you is not based upon you. It's given to you as a gift. My sheep hear my voice. He's speaking. He's calling you. So what do you need? You need church. You need small group. You, need that, you say, that's not my thing. It needs to become your thing. Church isn't my thing. It needs to become your thing. Small group's not my thing. It needs to become your thing. You need people who are around you that you are developing. So whatever you, wherever stage of walk you are, or life you are, you need to find some people and you need to help them. You need people around you who are your peers. This is an important one. Your peer is the one who's equal to you, but not everybody can be your peer. Your peer is the person who will love and accept you no matter how ugly it gets. They know everything about you and they're just cool. They love you anyway. They accept you anyway. You can't be a peer to another person if you don't have that attitude towards them. I'm really indifferent to, to, that, to people's problems because I know people are broken. They're like, oh, I don't want to tell you this. I don't want you to think bad of me. I'm like, first of all, I don't need you to tell me it. But lastly, I'm not going to think badly of you because I know we're all screwed up. We all got issues. We all got problems. Let's take off the pretenses. Not everybody can be your peer. But you need to have peers, people that love and accept you. They know everything about you, and they love you just the same. They think no less of you. You need mentors, people who call you higher. You need to be called higher because you were created to be called higher. And these things that you have heard from many witnesses, commit these things to faithful people who will teach others. So what Paul's telling Timothy is what I taught you, you need to teach others. And then you need to teach the others to teach others. This is, the, this is how it works. I think I got one more in this. This is it. It's the last slide, but it's not. I don't think I got a line. Is that the last slide? One, one more? Yeah, perfect. teaches you to trust. We kind of covered that, but I'm out of time anyway. You get to choose. Here's the deal. As much as God's changed, we want help from the Lord, so help me God. God changes, God helps us by changing us. And you get to choose the level of help that you get. According to your faith, so be it unto you. How far do you want to go? And Sharon and I, again, we were just talking about this, like how God is so unique and different than any other person around. He'll help you to the level that you can bear. He literally will help you to where you are. And, he, and if you want more, the way more comes to you, Christian, is you have to want more. If you don't want more, more doesn't come to you. It doesn't. That God, God will allow you to stay where you are. He will have more for you, but he's not going to let more come to you unless you want it. You have to pursue him for more. And in the pursuit comes the questions. In the pursuit comes the challenges. In the pursuit comes the transformation. But if you're fine and you're comfortable, I just met with a pastor, love the guy, but not my point of view at all, and where he's coming from, I won't get into it, but his response to me, I'm like, and that, I go, why do you, why do you feel that's, that's the POV here? And he says, well, I'm just, I'm just comfortable and happy, that's why. I'm like, I, I mean, I didn't want to correct the guy because he's older than me, but I wanted to tell him that's not the gospel. No matter what stage you're in in your life, we run, we run, we pursue the kingdom, we, we, whatever we, with everything we have. We're never to settle and be happy. Or not, like, what I mean happy is we're not to just settle for less, you know? You still got, if there's breath in your body, you still have a call on your life. There's still power over your life. There's still purpose in your life. There's still great reward for you. There's wonderful things. Jesus has great things for you. He teaches us to hear his voice. This is how God works in our life. He teaches us to hear his voice through his word, through his spirit, 
And he teaches us to trust the process. Stop short-tracking the process. Sometimes you have to trust the process. You said I've been in a season for three years. Yeah, well, your season might be five years. Because God is ridding you of you. Do you realize you're your own worst enemy? And if you're aware of that, you're your own, you, you oppose you more than anybody else. The devil opposes you. No, you, you are your greatest opposition. You're stiff-necked and proud and arrogant, and you think you know more. Or you're not willing to learn anymore. You know? That's oftentimes what happens. And so when we want God to do it, he dismantles you. I've been dismantled many times. I'm not standing here on a high horse looking at you saying, like, God's dismantling you. I've, I say that because he has literally dismantled me. And I could have stopped him anywhere along the line. I could have stopped him. I could have stopped him. I could have said, no, I don't want anymore. But I'm like, take me down to the ground, Lord. Take me to the subterranean foundations of my life. Dis- dismantle all of me. You have to be willing to do that. But that's how he truly, truly, truly changes you. And you have to trust that process. It feels like you're going to die, but you won't. <laughs> you feel like you're going to die, but you're not going to die. And they're calling you under courage into a new lifestyle. This is what he's calling you to. Just say this with me. Jesus, teach me to hear your voice. And we're going to get dangerous. Teach me to trust the process. You got a little mumble in here. Trust the process. Say it again. Let's say it one more time. Lord, teach me to hear your voice. Teach me how to trust the process. Call me with courage unto a new lifestyle that's rooted and founded in your kingdom. I don't want church culture. I want kingdom culture. I don't want the world's culture. I want kingdom's culture. I don't know exactly what this means, but I want it. So, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to begin to cultivate this in me, in Jesus' name. And let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And forever may you abide within his favor, in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.